Black on black, not black on black crime. This is regular game radio, man. Listening to a special uh, documentary on black on black back in 1968. Journalism professor Joe Saltzman. Check it out on YouTube.com, you know what I'm saying? If you'd like to see a whole hour and a half uh, video. And then Satan got a certain awareness lately, possibly since the riot in 65 that started somewhere in this vicinity. There's a certain awareness that has come upon the black man or the Negro, whichever is preferred. Is, uh, I'm proud of the way I look, and I'm going to be who I am regardless, and my hair is my business, and I like the way I look, and we've done everything to beautify it. The natural is a style that is strictly Negroid style, and it's the hair that makes a difference. That's the one thing that we have that other people can't have like. So we're going to justify our cause and be proud of who we are and how we wear our hair and the style and do everything we can to beautify it. There's several types of naturals. There's excessively long, referred to it as the Africanoid natural. There's Americanized naturals. There's a moderate natural. And the natural in between, the guy wears his hair at any length that he wants as long as it's kept clean not slicked down or processed and kept clean and well groomed. You wear short natural, even down to a cool bottle style. That's where it's excessively close to show the complete shape of the head. But the main feature about a natural is cleanliness. It radiates a certain desire to want to be clean.
and that's the way I like it. Pressing your hair is just like combing your hair, or the comb is warm. No, it ain't. Pressing your hair damages your hair, ladies. All right, burning you down edges. You messing your hair up by doing a hot press comb. I think more body. It takes about 45 minutes to get a shampoo, press, and curl. I go at least twice a month, and I get my hair shampooed and dry. She press it and curl it and style it. I have a, a number of friends that wear natural, and and on some of them, they do look nice. It all depends on how they keep them up. Personally, I don't like natural. Just like clothes, it, it all depends on the person and their taste. I pick the style I think is becoming to myself, and what I like, I wear. I don't like natural, especially on myself. My mother, she didn't like it at all. She's uh, a little old-fashioned, and she didn't like it at all. She thinks I should still get my hair pressed. My son, he's wearing a natural now because it's something that uh, I should get him, you know, used to in a way because something to let him know that that's him and nobody else's hairdo is not his. And uh, that's the way I feel about a natural as myself wearing it because it's me, it's naturally me, the way it is now. Negroes have had to do with what they've had so long. So I think they have, uh, it's, it's just part of their cooking where they have always had to improvise. A, a, a Pacific soul food dinner, chitlins, Hog malls, black eyed peas, um, mustard greens, okra, and cornbread. A very large glass of milk. Dessert. A very large piece of peach cobbler. And the uh, type of food that we, that I was raised on, was greens, cornbread, salt pork in the greens. Black-eyed peas out of the garden. Well, all the vegetables come out of the garden. And children in the wintertime when they would kill hogs, backbones, and old baked sweet potatoes. That was, as we call it, soul food now. And that was the beginning of my cooking. As I grew up, I would watch my mother fix various dishes, you know, and I would learn. As far as the recipes is concerned, we, I, I didn't know what the recipes was. I just learned through watching my mother, you see. The greens are
Uh, in the white neighborhood, the vegetables are fresh, crisp, nice. In the black neighborhood, they are dry. They are not fresh. The canned goods are bent. All soul food is high in our neighborhood because that's why most people buy. But I don't buy because I like to save money. I like to, to know where mine's going. Seven times I buy a pound or two of soul food, say a batch of chitlins, 10 pounds. And maybe in here they're not real good. And then I don't buy anymore. Once I get bit, I don't buy anything else. I go out of the neighborhood. We get in an old car and we'll tick, tick way out somewhere where we can find something that's a better quality of food. Some of the cans in the black community are rusty. You don't find that in the white community. The meats in the black community, the prices are high. The meats are not fresh. Uh, and the quality is, they put so much in a package until you're not really able to buy what you want. You have to buy a large amount in order to to even buy the meat in the black community. Now, for instance, uh, a merchant in this uh, neighborhood will sell a, a, a product maybe for a dime or a nickel more in the Negro neighborhood, where in the white community, he'll sell it for a nickel or a dime less. And this, uh, I do know for a fact, is true. For instance, if there's a piece of furniture and that the low-income family have longed for, and uh, suddenly someone comes along and say, well, now, I'll fix it where you can get it. So you give me uh, 10 blue chip stamp books, and we'll uh, call that the down payment. Well, the average family has 10 blue chip stamp books because he gets stamps everywhere. So he'll just turn in his 10 blue chip stamp books, and then he'll take the next five years trying to pay for a $25 piece of furniture. So economically, this is the same situation. I'll see to it. The attitude is I'll see to it that you don't get out of debt. So if I can't get you in the cotton field, I'll get you in the furniture store. And it's one reason I'll tell you, I'll say why the white man is a snake in the grass. The white man will train you for any kind of job that he wants you to do. He'll train you for any kind of job that the white woman or man will not do. I don't care what it is that the white person won't do. If, you, if the black person don't know how to do it, the white man is willing to train you no matter how much time, how much money you have to spend to do it, because he knows the white man or woman is not going to come in there and do it. But he won't train you for the better jobs. He'll be save his better jobs, his best paying jobs, for the white. Well, I know I've had jobs in um, different places before I started working where I'm working at now, and I um, had asked my boss once, I was working in a linen supply, and I asked my manager, could I go in the office? And he said, well, uh, I'll see, you know. So I said, okay, fine. He said, so uh, later on, I asked him again about the job. So he said, well, they didn't have any openings in the office. So this was fine, which I knew was wrong because I, that's why I had asked for the job. I knew it was an opening there. So a few days later, here is this old white girl. Her hair is straight. If personally, if I had a business, she couldn't even enter the door if it was left up to me. So she gets the job. So the white man, he feels as though uh, he would rather have a white woman, regardless of what she looks like, whether she's ugly or fat or skinny, whatever, he'd rather have her because she's white than to hire a decent, clean, intelligent uh, Negro girl. I 
finished high school at the age of 17. And at this time, I was qualified, so I thought, for a job in the world. So at this particular time, I had gotten, had saw the job, and I went down to apply for it. So when I got there, I passed the physical and the written examination. So the guy, after he couldn't find anything wrong with my test, he tells me, he says, well, I don't think that you would enjoy working in this office where they're all white people. And this experience hit me with such a blow, because at 17, I'm thinking the world is in the palm of my hand, you know. So I don't remember till the day how I left that office. It hit me with just that hard of a blow. I go, when, when I do come to my senses, I'm sitting on the bus stop, and the guy on the bus opens the door, and he says, lady, what's wrong with you? It was just that obvious that something had really upset me, you know. So I walk home in the days after I get off the bus, and when I get here, all I could do was cry. I just cried. Some of the frustrations of living in the ghetto is the crowdedness, the police, nowhere to go, nothing to do, no jobs, worrying about whether or not you're going to live today for tomorrow. Like waiting on a, waiting on a bus, man, you be on the bus stop, <laughs> you be on the bus stop about an hour or so, man.
it would be something new. All he has to do is get in there and turn the key. And when he goes down the street, he doesn't feel a bump in the road. Everything is smooth, smooth, smooth. The uh, young, younger generation figures that they ought to be able to put their car the way they want to put it. This is the generation that's uh, uh, more demanding. They ought to run, they ought to govern themselves instead of this white society. Yeah, we're talking about 1968, you know what I'm saying? We're in 2021. This is 1968. Listen to the language, though. They're mostly in the younger Uh, a black man is forever looking over his shoulder. 
watch ourselves very carefully. Whenever I see a police car, I get that feeling of defense or self-defense. This is the feeling I get. I feel like uh, uh, that is the enemy. That is the one who inflicts the pain. YouTube.com, check it out. And while I'm taking this time, I check out my book on uh, Amazon.com called The Pokey, the jailhouse memoir. You know what I'm saying? A lot of people live in, in the ghetto that are pretty well taken care of financially. Just because they live in the ghetto don't mean that they can't afford nice furniture. Uh, just because uh, they live in the ghetto doesn't mean that they can't drive a nice car. A lot of people, um, they have homes in these ghettos that uh, they're nice homes. They, they started from nothing. They've added on. They've put to it and they, they built their homes up. And actually, they don't want to leave this. I'm only 24. I bought my home two years ago at 22. I uh, have two kids. My husband, he works. I work. And uh, the majority of my friends are not doing as well as I am because uh, you have to... Uh, be able to manage in order to have anything. Or you have to want to want something in order to have it. I wanted to have a, a home. I wanted to have uh, kids. I wanted to have everything that it took to uh, make a life for myself. And I struggled and I had. I got a husband that wanted the same thing. And this is why we're so far ahead. It takes two to pull, you know. One can't do it by themselves. Personally, uh, when I enjoy living in the ghetto. I really do. I enjoy it. I would much rather live in the ghetto than live on the hill and look down on the ghetto. I moved in the project because the house that I was living in was, uh, wasn't large enough for my family. So we had to move into the project. I don't live here because I want to and don't live because I like it. I live in here because I have to. You don't have no privacy in the project. It's no privacy. You just live in a unit. Everybody knows everything the other one do. It's, it's not private at all. I wash, you wash. You move over your clothes off and I'll hang mine up, whether they wet or dry. You can't even sit out on the lawn. Somebody come along and spit where you're sitting. Actually, anything in the project you don't call your own because the people, the project, they'll knock on the door and if you don't answer them, they'll take the key and walk right on in. Sometimes I wish I could just move out right now and just, but I know I'll have to stay until I can find something that I can go. But nowadays, everybody's for themselves. If they call it now, it's a dog-eat-dog -dog world. And this, this don't have to be. I have 13 children, and my husband is the father of all of them. But we have so many others in my neighborhood all around me. I have nine children, and every child have a different father. One woman has seven. 
and neither of us have the same father. All of them have a different father. Maybe you have one that the father brings something over to him. Maybe one of the fathers loved his child and he would come over. And this makes the other children feel left out because the man is coming over to see, here comes daddy and he's only got a bag for Susie. Why is this mama? Well, he's not your father. Well, where, where's my father? Why don't he bring me something? Then it's get out of the house and stop talking to me. I think it's very rare to have uh, both parents, both original parents in the home uh, nowadays in time because things, just like I say, during that time, things were so hard when I was a kid that most fathers would just desert the mother or uh, they would ha were having babies so fast and they didn't know how to stop until the father would just get disgusted and just up and leave. That was the only thing he knew to do. If a man is in the house, if a man's in the house, she can't get state aid. So this man, he has to go. He leaves voluntarily. It ain't nothing between him and his wife. He leaves voluntarily for all ornaments for his kids and for his wife to survive. He leaves and then the state will support him. As long as he's not there. A black man has never really been known to own a family. Um, he's not really a... Uh, 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 an upstanding figure in the home from the get-go, see, because he's, uh, oh, he has uh, some cheap job paying nothing in which his wife could go out and make twice as much if she happened to get out there and started working. So uh, we, black people, have never really owned a family, and this pattern has just been carried on on through history. We, we do have families in South L.A. with the... Uh, mother and the father and all and a lot of times you probably wouldn't know it because the father had been depressed so bad over a period of time that uh he's just not even noticed he is he has been maybe he has worked all his life man he's tired you know and he just kind of kept it just as he's got older he just lays around you know and taking it easy because life is just did him so wrong he went through so much you know by being black, it just went through so much. And when he gets old, man, it's just mind is just so piled up with this. He doesn't, he doesn't, you know, he's not too good of an image. And uh, he's just there, and nobody even knows he's there half the time. The black women feel that their black men is not men anymore because they have lost their thing. You know what I'm talking about? Go uh, 
you know, the various jobs that they had open, well, they, the white man wouldn't hire. During those times that uh, my mother had to work also like, to help my father. And uh, times were pretty rough then because um, my mother would have to leave early in the morning and she didn't come in until late in the evening and my father likewise. It took uh, quite a deal of uh, uh, way from my children. It left my children alone. I wasn't able to pay a babysitter. My mother, she would come over sometime and look after the children, but she was sick half the time, so she couldn't afford to come over. So that made me have to leave my children home alone. She, she wasn't aware that I needed uh, food to eat at school. I guess she, I don't know what it was, but anyway, she would leave me a nickel or a dime or something like this. So at lunchtime, I felt embarrassed because at that time in school, uh, everybody had to sit down and eat. And then, at, then they would play, or either you ate in the cafeteria, one or the other. So with me not having any food at all, I uh, would sit at the table and the kids would laugh at me. So to prevent this, I would go in the refrigerator and take out the hard butter, then put it on bread and uh, wrap it up and put it in a bag take it to school. And this at lunchtime, I would unwrap and eat. She would come home in the afternoon, no mother. No father, because we both were still at work. And as she grew up and become a young lady, she began to tell me how she missed me and how much she wanted me at home and how much she wished that I was able to stay home and do the things for her that uh, uh, a parent should do for their children. That made me feel very bad. I knew that they were having a hard time. I was always conscious of my mother and my father struggling, you know, in order to, to have a better life. If the white man would um, stop and realize and think that the black man feel the same about his wife as he feel about his, I think it would be a better understanding too. The black man don't want his wife to get up and go to work every morning and punch a time card right along with him. He wants his wife home just like the white man wants his wife at home. Because the father represents the law in the home. And a mother represents love in the home. You take when a child come in and he's hurt or bruised or something, he goes to mama. But when he come in and he has a problem, he goes to daddy. Mm -hmm. You know, because he figured daddy is a symbol of law. Mm -hmm. That is a symbol. He comes to daddy because daddy can help him. And I don't think it's good that a mother have to get out and work and leave her children at home. It makes bad children cause some children to go astray. It cause, it's too much freedom whereas there's a girl in the home. It causes uh, illegitimate pregnancy in the home from the uh, girl on the girl. Message. And just a number of things I had quite a few girlfriends while I was going to school in junior high and in high school. Get pregnant, have to drop out of school a few weeks or maybe a month before graduation, or either they get pregnant and don't even go back to school because once they have a baby, they feel that they're grown. Either they feel that they're grown or they feel that they don't have the time to get back to school and try to learn something. Many young girls in, in, in our neighborhood get caught like that. It's it's, I think it's because of the lack of understanding uh, with the parents. 
a lack of security. They don't, they can't come to the parents and talk things over with them, and the parents don't take time to talk to them. So I think it's a lack of communication, and they don't have a church background, or they don't have anyone to talk to. And there were many reasons why um, girls became pregnant before they graduated. Family problems in the home, or either just getting with the wrong crowd and thinking that crowd was what what was happening and they in turn kept going out with this crowd until somebody would either go to jail or a girl would come become a pregnant and whoever the father was he was still in the crowd so the crowd moves on the girl is in turn left there with the child and her mother they're rejecting her because she they're saying that she didn't really think and it all stems from one minor which is a, a factor that shouldn't even be there, and that's unemployment of the father. And this, in turn, brings on all of this other, uh, well, should we say disease or infection that, uh, that inhabits the Negro community. This is all just from uh, that the white man won't employ the Negro, and all he wants is a decent living, even if it's uh, cleaning floors. He wants just to make an honest dollar, which is awfully hard to do.
He's a very clean, dress, clean and neat dressing person. Well groomed, easy going, gets along with everybody. Always has a little money in his pocket. Uh, but then you have some pimps who not only pimp women, but they pimp the public. You know, mm. if you gave a man a five, a five dollar bill and asked for change, and he gave you change for a five, you turn around and say, well, I gave you a 10 if you fell for it. I said, oh, you gave me a 10? Well, I'm sorry, it's my mistake. This is happening to fuck. And when you're hustling, there's your eyes are going to jail or uh, 75 out of 100 mm -hmm. when you're hustling. Because uh, most of the time, uh, seeing that we live in this kind of society, everything must be... 75 uh, out of 100.
because this is what it's going to do. We got to be twice as good, see, because uh, we know him, but he doesn't know us. We know him very well. We know how to identify him. We know how to uh, uh, think in the way he would think and how he feels about us. We know this, see, so whenever we see anyone, yeah, we do around here look like my dad. Me on guard. Oh, There's no great love for him. And there is no sympathy for him and nothing. He's the devil. And that's it. The evil one. You know, when I see a white person, a white man, a white woman, the first thing I'll start thinking, what do that person, that white person want from me? Because I feel in the back of my mind that they don't mean me any good. They never have meant me any good. So why should I believe that they mean me any good now? There have been times that I wouldn't let a white person in my home. And it hasn't been too very long ago. Because a white man is a funny thing. He can either laugh and talk with you today or uh, this minute. And the next thing you know, he's cut your throat. And I don't mean with a knife. I mean with words, with anything he can hurt you with. But he'll make you think that he's your friend. And that all the while, he's making you, trying to make you believe that he's your friend. He's the worst enemy you could have. We took so much from the white man until now that we, are, we feel that it, it, it's got to be a change. So... We always had to be on the end of asking, so now we're going to take it. We can't get, we didn't ask long enough. My generation is fed up with it. I mean, uh, what good is it to, to, I mean, to be a man if you got to beg for something? You know, if you're a man, you're supposed to go out and get it. And so I feel that we'll go out and get it. If we have to fight to do it, we're going to do it. And if it takes giving up my life for my people, I'll do it. Because we don't have anything to lose from the get-go. We black, we ain't never had nothing, and never will have nothing. This nigga look so, like James Lee. I'm going to give it up. That nigga look like James It's time Jay-Z. for the black man to try and uh, better their condition and show the white man that they are just the, it's just as much as the white man, and that they can get as much as the white man. It's given an opportunity, but, but not in a violent way. We have to burn our own houses, our own storefronts, we have to burn down our own neighborhood, in other words, to get the white people, the majority of the, the white power structure, to pay attention to what we was after. Why are they still doing it in 2021? But the next time, it's going to be the white people that's going to be burned down. Just riding and things is not necessary. It don't have to be. I don't know what the answer is as yet, but I know this riding and burning and stealing and looting is not the answer. The reason why things will be done through bloodshed is because this seems to be the only thing that makes the power structure move. It's violence. The youth knows that they will die. They are aware of this. As a matter of fact, they are expected to die first because they are the warriors. America teaches you not to be violent, but America, the very foundation of America, is built on violence. America, America has had violence all as long as, as it has existed. They have been in some kind of violence. Violence was the birth of the country. 
The rocket is very glad of bombs bursting in air. We are Americans. We love America. We are part of America. And we want to be a part of America. And the idea of it is, that's our fight. To be a part of America. If things don't change, um, we'll have to make them change for us. And this is the belief that black people have. Younger, the younger generation has. It's not going to be anything where this is the good white boy and this is the bad white boy. It's going to be uh, more or less white against black. No ifs, ands, and buts about it. But sadly, that's what they want. You know what I'm saying? At the end of the day, people, our past has always done screwed up stuff. You know what I'm saying? One thing about it though, as we, as we, since this was 1968, we were in 2021, and with the advent of the internet, it, I mean, for all of us, we have to come to a realization that our past is fucked up, a lot of people did fucked up shit in the past, and until you start reaching out to the past and, and understanding the past, you can't, you, you can't change the present. Or make a better future. So a lot of people talking about something need to forget about slavery, we need to forget about this and that. If you forget about this same language, if you don't sit up here and listen to this 1968 documentary and use it to make a change for better, this black, white, and everybody in between is just human beings. Then we all still got a problem, and we all just gonna be staying uh, stuck in the same evolving cycle. Of, of worrying about another person's skin color instead of focusing on just the, the goodness and greatness of people, you know what I'm saying? And letting that be the reason. Let, you know what I'm saying? And dealing with people that way. But if you don't know thyself, you know what I'm saying? It's a lot of black people. African American, all these titles, you know what I'm saying, that we, we wear, which y'all can't even understand our, our plight. Because you all don't have the, the same labels that we, we we have, you know what I'm saying? And have to go around different places and flip up and use these different labels and stuff. So be thankful that you ain't black. A lot of y'all wish y'all was black, you know what I'm saying? But I'm thankful for being black. I'm thankful for being this hue. I'm thankful for knowing that I come from a, a, a great continent, such as a Kibalon. And I know that I have the knowledge to get back to it and explore its greatness. So I encourage all y'all to do the same, you know what I'm saying? And thank y'all for tuning in. This is Record Again Radio. Check out WDGRadio.com. What time DJ Party Time out there? DJ Party Show out there. Mr. John Dew out there. Time for both my dogs. Hot, hot, pocket knife, beach dog. Zulu style of movement. Uh, everybody out there that's on the grind, you know what I'm saying? If you done lost somebody, one time for my dog d one time for uh, Papa Cito, one time for my dog Carpet Munch, you know what I'm saying? In remembrance of. And uh, everybody else, you know, have a great day.